Welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Before I start today, I wanted to respond to a question that has come up several times. The emails I get go something like this. Neil, your show is having a huge impact on my life or on my relationship. Do you offer any type of coaching to help people learn to do the things that you talk about on your show? The simple answer is yes. The Relationship Alive sessions that I offer are a combination of coaching and healing work to support you in getting past problems and obstacles and to create a clear sense of where you want to go and how to get there. I work with individuals and couples on their relationship. I coach singles who are looking to get into conscious growth-oriented relationships. And I help people get through breakups as well. If you want more information, the best thing to do is to just schedule a quick, free conversation where we can chat about what's going on with you and see if we're a fit to work together. You can either text the word SUPPORT to the number 33444 or go to neilsatin.com support to set something up. And for those of you who have written, thanks for asking. Along with having these conversations on the podcast, I love being able to work directly with you to help create powerful, positive change. And whether it's with me or another coach or counselor, I do encourage you to get help. The world's top athletes, performers, and executives all use coaches and consultants to improve their results, see what their blind spots are, and just to figure out how to do things differently or better than they have before. So why shouldn't you? All that being said, what are we going to talk about today? In a nutshell, we're going to talk about lies. Why do we lie, ever? And while it's easy to perhaps scapegoat people who aren't telling the whole truth, as with anything in relationship, it takes two to tango. So how does the person who's being lied to help create the dynamic? Most importantly, how do you bring your relationship back into balance so that you can experience the power created by telling the truth and being in integrity? Today's guests are Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson. As co-founders of the Couples Institute, they are two of the world's leading experts on couples therapy and the topic of honesty in relationship. And their groundbreaking book, Tell Me No Lies, explores exactly these questions about how to undo the damage caused by all lies, big and small, in relationship. If you're interested in qualifying to win a free copy of their book, Tell Me No Lies, you can text the word PASSION to the number 33444 and follow the instructions, or simply download the show guide at neilsatin.com slash lies. That's L-I-E-S. Let's get started. Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. You're welcome. We're looking forward to a dynamite conversation here. Good to be here, Neil. Awesome. So let's get started just by talking about what what constitutes a lie. Are we just talking about like, um, where were you last night? Um, oh, I was hanging out with the boys when in reality you were hanging out with your ex-girlfriend, or are we talking about a more broad definition of what constitutes lying? Actually, it's, it's a really great, great question because lying is on a continuum. Uh, you can have just the deliberate lie, which is a person is just making up information 
where they give information that is just the opposite from what the truth is. So that's one part of it. Then there are what's called equivocations, where you make an indirect or an ambiguous or some contradictory statements. So you, you just kind of, you're equivocating on the truth. Then you have concealments, which you omit information that is important or relevant to the topic. And then you have exaggerations, which are overstatements, or they stretch the truth to a degree. And then there are understatements, which minimize or downplay aspects of the truth. So it's not really just cut and dry. You're lying or you're not lying. And in fact, Oscar Wilde once said, the truth is rarely pure and never simple. And that is so, so true in relationships, because as Pete's talking about, there's a lot of different kinds of lies and you can't just define a lie as a lie. Yeah, that gets me really curious about, and I don't like to get into black and white thinking really. So the fact that there's some gray area there is is helpful, I think. Um, that being said, is it always bad to be lying in a relationship? So I think about it like this. When couples get together, especially, they tend to tell each other loving lies. And those loving lies actually, I think, help to solidify the bond and make actually help people feel closer to each other. So, and, you know, if you lie to your partner about, hey, that was a terrific meal you made for me, even when you may not like the food so much, but you appreciate the effort, uh, those kinds of lies are not going to be destructive. Yeah, but actually, Neil, we talk about lying being on a continuum, but you also have to look at, I think, some of the motivations for why people lie too, in terms of uh, the severity of a lie. For example, people, in order to avoid tension or conflict in social interactions, will lie uh, to avoid hurt feelings. Uh, we also lie in order to get personal gain, to advance ourselves. Uh, we lie to get out of trouble, to stay out of trouble. People lie to enhance their image. Um, but there are a lot of practical reasons. The reason that Ellen and I get so, got so interested in the whole concept of truth-telling is because there are actually a lot of practical reasons why people want to know the truth, not just in interpersonal relationships. In uh, political campaigns, we want to know if a politician is lying when they deny their involvement in a bribery scandal. Or teachers want to know whether students are lying and cheating on exams. Or parents, we, we want to know, did you really finish your homework? And what time did you get in last night, really? Uh, you buy a used car. You want to know if the salesman is telling you the truth. If you're interviewing somebody for a job, you want to know, is the person you interview, are they as capable as they claim they are? Uh, and the obvious ones are police detectives. They want to know whether a suspect's alibi is reliable or whether they're making stuff up. So lie detecting affects us in so many layers in our society as well as just interpersonal relationships. Yeah, and I I also noticed in your subtitle, How to Stop Lying to Your Partner and Yourself, that there's that question too about are you are you really telling yourself the truth about your experience and 
especially when I think about how many people, when you ask them, for instance, well, what do you really want in your relationship? Or even what do you really want to do Friday night? They might say that they don't know. And some people are lying <laughs> when they say they don't know. No. And other people might genuinely not know. And my suspicion is that that could be the result of lots of self-deceit where you're sort of preventing yourself from getting to, to know who you really are. Wow. So you just covered a, a bunch of complicated concepts that I'd like to break down a bit if you're- Awesome. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, okay. So, I mean, so one thing is, you know, is there self-deception in relationships? And there's an enormous amount of self-deception that goes on in relationships. And I mean- you can, and then, so the other concept that you were talking about is how much does somebody know themselves? And then not only how much do they know themselves, which is a concept that we talk about in terms of differentiation, but also how much are they able to express congruently what they know about themselves to the other person? So I don't know which of those you want to talk about <laughs> first, but I see them as different and uh, two very rich areas for us to discuss. You know, I wonder if a great way to to go to attack that would be to talk about them in the context of the stages of relationship that people go through, because it seems like each one might rear its head more depending on the stage of relationship that you're in. Does that seem true? Um, sort of. I mean, I, I let me say it this way, you know, um, in the first stage of relationship, the honeymoon stage, the stage that I sometimes call a period of temporary psychosis, uh, when you know two people are falling in love and they're bonding, uh, it's so normal to lie, and it's just, or also to even not pay that much attention to your own wishes and desires because there's just so much uh, adrenaline and so much excitement that's created by that whole experience of falling in love. And so in the, and many relationships get stuck there and they get stuck particularly in what we sometimes call the dark side of the honeymoon where there's an enormous amount of conflict avoidance that goes on. And when people are avoiding conflict, they usually lie by omission and they don't in fact actively differentiate. They don't express their own thoughts, wishes and desires. I often describe it to couples as being a lot like a disco ball. And if you think about all the mirrors on a disco ball, those are the evolving parts of ourselves that we show to a partner as we allow them to know us better and as we become more fully present in a relationship. But many people don't ask themselves, who am I really? What's important to me? What matters to me? And so they don't show those different uh, aspects of themselves to the partner. So a really good example of uh, people not showing themselves in the early stage is that when Pete and I first got together, uh, I thought he was really, really neat. We, we lived in different states. And when Ellen would <laughs> visit me, I was living in Louisiana and she was living in California. <laughs> right before she had visited, I'd hire a housekeeper <laughs> to come in and really give my my place a really thorough cleaning. 
And so I thought he was neat. And I didn't realize until he moved to California and we moved in together that yeah. he was actually pretty <laughs> Actually, I describe it as I have a higher tolerance for visual disarray than Ellen does. Uh huh. And I I call it for being very messy. Of course, wow. <laughs> this sounds familiar to me. Um, and yeah, so that might be an interesting example of like what was the what was the moment of truth like for you, Ellen, and how did you guys negotiate navigate that? <laughs> well, it, the moment of truth is a great big moment of disillusionment and yeah. that's also pretty common for people to experience in their relationships so yeah so it was actually pretty depressing at the beginning well, and it, it occurred to her when we started living together oops yeah and then we were already you know into a relationship and so uh, we had to try out all kinds of different things to solve that problem and it's one of those problems that's you know pervasive in your life and so we experimented with a lot of different things before we arrived at solutions to it but it's you know it's one of those problems that you don't solve in one discussion right and i think we'll get to that in a in a few minutes about the the process of resolving when when you're when you've come clean about something and and how to not rush to a resolution. Um, but getting back to the topic of the honeymoon period, one thing that I thought was really interesting in what you wrote was, because you know, frequently you hear about the honeymoon period, you're awash in all of these uh, neurochemicals that, that make you, um, render you bonded and, and stupid to some degree. That's and correct. <laughs> bonded and stupid. I love it. <laughs> but you also talk about how there's, there's, um, when couples come together, that they're often trying to be the same, that that's, and it almost seems like that's an important first step in really coming together is finding all of those ways that you align and minimizing your differences. Do you think that's crucial or is that a false well, I, presumption? I, think, I mean, I think, first of all, I think it's a natural thing to do when people are trying to, you know, kind of prove their compatibility to each other. And so they'll emphasize the ways that they're alike because it does help. It seems like that's going to cement the bond and also make them a better choice for the other person. Uh, hey, Neil, here's a, a really extreme example of that that I literally heard in a grocery store. I overheard a couple and he said to her, oh, you like hard pears, too. I guess we were meant for each other. <laughs> If that's not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. <laughs> well said, Neil. <laughs> um, so, in so each there are four stages. Maybe we can that you mention in your book. Maybe we could just quickly go through what is what is each one, and what are the hallmarks of each stage, and and what's the dark side, and and what are we shooting for anyway? If we're we're going to get to like the nitty gritty about being honest, but what's the picture of a, of a couple that's really learned how to be in integrity with each other? Well, but start uh, by, by taking us on that journey there. Okay. So, you know, there's the journey of what happens. And in fact, in our book, tell me no lies. We 
we traced two couples. One and the two couples met in exactly the same, just about exactly the same way, and they pretty much bonded in a similar way. And then their paths diverged, and so we trace what happened. And with so I'll trace the um, couple that don't do some of the good solid relationship work first, which is a couple typically who uh, get together, they form the bond, they decide to be a couple. And then instead of an active differentiation process going on, they either become very, very conflict avoidant. And in that process of being conflict avoidant, they give up more and more of themselves. And so over time, they basically collapse and give up parts of themselves that really matter until sometimes you have a partner who's depressed or a partner who's quietly, seethingly angry and then sometimes after that's gone on for a while you get to the stage where well, let me just interrupt for one second about the conflict avoidant person they avoid high levels of disagreement that could result in conflict because the the basic fear that they have is that conflict will lead to a rupture of the relationship and then that will lead to the ending of the relationship so they seek security above all, and they're willing for long periods of time to keep over-compromising, over-adapting in order to preserve the illusion of security and permanence of a relationship. But it, it, over time, it catches up. Makes sense. The next stage that we described when things are not going well is one that we called freedom unhinged. And in the freedom unhinged stage, what you typically have is then this is where the relationship starts to really disintegrate. And you have things, more extreme lies usually take place in the freedom unhinged stage. In fact, you may have what we call felony lies. And felony lies are those great big bad lies where somebody looks you in the eye and says, for example, no, I'm not having an affair when an affair is going on. And they say it enough times that the other person begins to feel crazy. But in or that they will tell their partner, you are crazy for thinking I have an affair. You're nuts. And that really makes the non-betrayed partner, um, they question, literally they begin to question their sanity, their reality. And that's that's why we call it a felony lie, because the stakes are so high. You can also have felony lies where somebody's gambling a lot of the joint resources and hiding it and lying about it, so that it's not always only in terms of infidelity. It can be in other areas as well. But in that stage, the trust is so violated and the honesty is so absent that usually those couples end up separating or divorcing. It's rare for the ones when there's been some extreme felony lies to be able to put it back together again. Hmm. If you go back to the, you know, what is a what is a process look like when a couple is evolving well, what you have is the honeymoon stage where they put a clear boundary around themselves as a couple, and then each partner begins to actively differentiate or be actively begin to start more substantial truth telling and so they do speak up about things that are important and things that matter to them and they risk 
moving into those areas of disagreement that Pete was just talking about. And that brings up inevitable tension. And so couples who are on a growthful process in their relationships learn how to deal with that growthful tension. And those early years of differentiation are not easy. Oh, my um, gosh. It, it, we believe that it actually takes courage on the side of both people to bring forth the truth, the courage to tell the truth and the courage to hear your partners telling the truth. Uh, and so if you, a lot of times people hear the truth, they don't like it, and then they attack their partner, and then the partner goes, I'm going to think twice about being really honest in the future. Yeah, I wanted to ask you more about that. Um, you call it in your book the lie invitee, um, and and it makes sense that there's this dance going on. If it's and it's easy to villainize a liar, like oh, you didn't tell me the truth, or you're concealing this thing, or you should have told me about how you you know you didn't like um, peas for dinner. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been making them every day for the past three years. Exactly. Um, and at the same time, there how how is a partner? most likely complicit in creating that dynamic? I'll give you a, a kind of a minor example, Neil, but it happens with couples all the time. When our daughter was uh, seven or eight years old, uh, Ellen was going out for the evening and she said to me, uh, will you make sure that Molly goes to bed by nine o'clock and get her teeth brushed? Because if she goes to bed later, then she's cranky in the morning and da da da. So I said, okay. So that evening, Ma, Ellen, Molly and I get to watching this movie called RoboCop. And it's a, there's a lot of violence in there, but I'm talking to Molly about violence in the movie and cameras and how it's scripted not to be afraid. We're following the plot and we're having a great discussion about movies and violence. And then about 10.30, I look at my watch and I go, whoops. Man, is it past her bedtime, so we just go to bed right away. Ellen comes home, and she says, did Molly get to bed okay? Now, I, what, if I say yes, no problem. If I say no, actually, here's what we did. Ellen is going to get really upset, eh? She doesn't watch, want Molly watching violent movies. She didn't get her teeth brushed. And she is likely to be cranky in the morning when she gets up. But I can finesse it all just by saying, yeah, she got to bed okay. That's a huge lie of omission um, and just a partial truth. But if I tell Ellen the truth and she says to me, well, how can I depend on you when I leave that you're going to follow through and get her to bed on time. I can't depend on you. And all of a sudden, we got then a potential whopper fight. All of that can be finessed just by saying, yeah, Molly got to bed okay. But if I change it to actually a bigger picture, a bigger perspective that is not about that one incident, if I say to Ellen, you know, let's really talk about our roles. I don't want to feel like I'm a babysitter. You're giving me an assignment that I have to follow through when you're gone. 
I think I should have equal decision about what happens when you go and I'm in charge of Molly. It's not just that I'm a high a, a older babysitter to do your bidding. We have to discuss bigger things, a bigger picture about how to deal with these conflict of values. Now, all of a sudden, if we are really differentiated, we can have that discussion easier than who's the boss when Ellen goes out for the night. Uh, but it's so easy that Ellen would smack me for not following her directions and then we start a pattern of I'm not going to say anything that will get her upset because I don't want to risk getting hammered by telling her things she doesn't want to hear. That's the liar and the lie invitee dynamic that gets played out so often in so many relationships. And if Pete actually does what he said of expanding it to the bigger issues, then I'm going to have my side on those bigger issues too and it's going to open up for a period of time a can of worms as we you know learn how to tolerate hearing each other and working with what it's bringing up for each partner. Can you talk for a moment and maybe contrast the the difference between someone inviting a lie versus being someone who invites the truth? Yeah. Um, I can do that. You know, I mean, the, the example that Pete gave would be if, you know, if he tells me the truth and I clobber him often, uh, because of the example he gave for, then, you know, that's going to be a classic lion vitee situation. People who act like martyrs or who go into, uh, very active attack modes are all tend to be people who are encouraging lies. Um, we tell a story, but it's a really powerful story about a good example of somebody being ready to hear the truth. And this is a story of a couple who was in a couple's workshop with us, and they'd lived in that chronic conflict avoidant tension for 10 years where it was palpable and where they'd had a lot of experiences where the truth was not welcome. We've been teaching them about how to come clean and how to tell the truth. And one of the partners said to the other one, do you really... This, this was an, uh, an exercise on communication about really asking questions to get at the truth rather than being really upset when you hear it. And so um, he... She said to him, do you really, really, really want to know how I feel? And he said, yes, I do indeed want to know how you feel. And she said, I pray for your death. Now, this guy is in good, good health, too. And so <laughs> there's that moment, and this was in a room full of a lot of couples, so there's a moment of gasping and tension all around the room, and then the husband, that was a moment where he could have easily turned into a lie invitee. And instead, he spent a moment, he was quiet. You could watch the wheels in his brain spinning around as he was trying to figure out what to say. And then he finally then he said... he remembered the, the phrase, be curious instead of furious. And so he said to her, so just how long have you been praying? Which, Which was a great question. It was an amazing question. 
And she proceeded to say, I've been praying for 10 years. She was Catholic. She couldn't imagine getting a divorce. And so she told him how for 10 years she'd been thinking about how to get out of the marriage. And she believed the only way out of the marriage would be if he died. Now, that's an extreme example, but it's an, a powerful example of somebody who invites the truth. The, the, the PS to that example is the next day, this was a several-day workshop, the next day they were walking down the highway together, and there was a big truck coming at them, uh, and he said to her, well, now is your chance. And she said, at that moment, the hourglass of our marriage turned upside down because I really got that he could hear my truth and want to know more about it. Um, so it's, it's a dramatic example instead of freaking out just to stay curious and say, tell me more. Yeah, and... You know, on this show, we've spoken a lot about the importance of being able to fully choose yourself in order to choose your relationship and also really inviting the best and brightest parts of your partner forth and wanting to see them shine in the world. Yep. And yet, and and I, I strongly believe in all of that. And at the same time, I think that it's probable that a lot of couples are going to have to get through this through this place of um of coming clean about all the ways that they haven't either been seen or allowed themselves to be seen and and the implications of like all right now you're really seeing me like you're seeing the part of me that actually wanted you dead for 10 years um how did they do after that just out of curiosity uh, last we heard, they were still together and doing much, much better. So I don't, I haven't had contact with them now for quite a few years, but last we knew, they were they were doing well. Now, here's the thing, Neil, about the RoboCop example. If Ellen says, "Did Molly get to bed okay?" I say, "Yeah," and here's what happened. If Ellen's first response is, "Well, first of all, Pete, I am glad that you're told that you are telling me the truth about what happened." So I just want to let you know I would rather know what happened than not. Now I think we got to discuss about the process of who's going to be in charge when one of us goes out for the evening. Uh, that creates a very different kind of dialogue than if I'm afraid I have to defend myself because she is so upset. And back to what you were saying, Neil, the, the challenge is that when people bring out those best or brightest or those things that matter, often they are going to live in tension for a period of time. And I think that our culture tends to promote this idea of unicorns and rainbows and everything is wonderful and you ride off into the sunset with your partner. And so there's not a lot of good education or even good examples in movies and TV shows where a couple has a really challenging issue to solve and it doesn't solve easily and so they actually work with it and you get to see how they work with it. I mean Pete and I had a conflict uh, that lasted a year and it seems kind of silly now but at the time it didn't which and it was a conflict about how and where we were going to do our couples workshops and because we, we were running a lot of couples workshops together and we had very different ideas about the size of it, the location of it, the process of it, 
And believe me, that was excruciating as we worked that through because both of us felt very strongly about some of our own positions. And we knew that the result might be at the end that we didn't work together. So, you know, but it, and like I said, it took a year to solve it. Yeah, and because it sounds like generally the reason people lie is because they want to avoid something, um, that the you talk about the the potential for a couple to rush to a conclusion, and it makes sense why you'd want to because you want to. It's it's almost another way of avoiding the conflict. Like, okay, I heard your truth. Good. Let's. That's great. Let's just do that. <laughs> let's do that thing. So um, can you elaborate on that a little bit more about what's important when when truth telling is happening? How would a couple know that they're that they're not rushing it? Well, a couple things. One is if somebody is is going to express a difficult truth, tell your partner that what you're about to say is not easy to say. And so you give your partner a heads up. What I'm about to say, like, Ellen, I, I, what I'm going to tell you now about the, when you were gone about Molly being here, it's not easy for me to say because I know that you wanted her to be in bed, get her teeth brushed. So I'm going to tell you what really happened. And it's not easy for me to say this because I think a part of you, Ellen, is going to get really upset. However, in, because I really want us to create a better foundation of being direct and honest, here's what happened and here's why. So giving your partner a heads up helps to facilitate hearing the truth. Uh, and then when you get the truth, to say to the person who's taking on the anxiety of expressing it, just tell them, I thank you for being honest. I really appreciate that. So having that tool right there makes a big difference. Uh, the other thing around, you were talking about self-deception earlier in this interview. Here's an example of self-deception that is really, really common. Couples will call in uh, or one person will call in to say, we need to come in. We'd like to be in couples therapy. And I'll say, what's the head problem of the, what's the headline of your problem? And he'll say, well, we can't communicate or whatever it is. And then I will say to the person who's calling, what do you think would be required of you to be a better communicator? Or what do you think would be required of you that would make your partner glad to be with you? Over half the time, Neil, the person I'm talking will say, wow, me? Or, wow, I, I really don't know. And it's, it's, it's like after all the arguments they've been through, all the tension they've been through, they're still clueless about what would be required of them to make for better communication or make their partner glad to be with them. Uh, and then I'll say, well, do you think your partner might have some ideas about what you could do that would be better? And often they will then laugh and say, well, yeah, I think they would. Um, but it's an example, Neil, of not being aware or conscious or willing to admit your participation in what goes on in a relationship. One of the biggest self-deceptions in a relationship is the feeling and belief that I'm a victim but not a contributor 
to what's going on and making the distress. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I wonder if you're someone listening to this and you, um, if someone listening to this were um, in either position, let's say someone recognizes like, oh, you know, there's some places where I'm not telling the truth. Um, And I I liked what you offered, Peter, about, you know, saying, okay, honey, uh, I'm about, what I'm about to tell you is, is not easy. (laughs) Um, and how about um, for someone who maybe has a hunch that they're being lied to or even recognizes in themselves the patterns of being a lie invitee, like, oh, I see that I'm actually not really creating an atmosphere that's conducive to openness and truth-telling. What can that person do to to help get their partner on board and say, you know what, like, let's, we're going to be honest. Let's, let's scrap all this stuff. We're going down the wrong road. Let's go down the right road. Do you have any suggestions for that? Neil, that would be exactly the way to open the dialogue and to say, and here's what I have been doing, honey, that makes it hard for you to be honest with me. And by the mere fact of saying, this is what's going on and this is what I do that contributes to it is really opening the door for fresh air to come into the relationship. Another small thing that can be added to that is that, you know, when when kids are in kindergarten, they learn about taking turns, but when we grow up, we forget all about that. And in fact, when you're telling the truth, it's a good place to say, look, I know that um, I've been competitive with you or I've been reactive to you and I know that I don't make it easy for you to tell me the truth and I'm just going to listen. I'm going to really make sure that I can try to understand what it is you've been trying to tell me without demanding that you also hear me and then maybe later you could listen to me. Yeah, I like that and and it seems like that would provide a good platform for a, for couples to at least try. And I'm wondering, what would you suggest to people listening where there's been something big, like you said, uh, I think a felony lie earlier, um, to help them through that without completely unraveling? So with with the big, big felony lies, generally like, speaking, like generally speaking, I think it's a darn good idea to get a a good therapist involved because those are pretty complicated but if you're going to try to do it yourself then typically the person who's been uh, who's been lie who's been the liar is in a big hurry to get it over with and get it solved quickly and so they aren't sensitive to creating the space for the other person to ask a lot of questions to get the truth what's true reestablished to be able to express some of their feelings about what happened and so um, just the process of how they talk about it is going to be very very crucial in terms of whether they're able to get through it themselves or not and it takes a long time actually to regain trust Uh, it's not a decisional thing there are a lot of strands in that cable and it takes a lot of small things done daily over time to regain that trust again to do what you say you're going to do and sometimes when somebody wants their partner to hurry up and get over it and forget it I apologized it won't happen again 
I will use the analogy of if two people are in a startup company and the startup company is struggling and then it turns out that one of the partners has been embezzling, um, I'd say, how long is it going to take you to regain trust when that partner kept looking you in the eye and say, no, the books are just fine. I don't know why we're struggling so much. And then you find out they embezzled again. Now what? And now it looks like you might have to take out a huge second mortgage on your house to keep your company afloat and keep going. You love the company, you want to keep it afloat, but do you want to take out a second mortgage on your house when you know your partner has been embezzling? Uh, and then your partner says to you, well, you know that vacation you wanted to take? Go ahead and take it and I'll take care of things here. How comfortable are you going to be on that vacation? Uh, the interdependencies are so multiple and the foundation of making a relationship work, the absolute foundation is not love, it's trust. Um, so your whole topic, Neil, about increasing trust, avoiding lies, and the importance of lies is, is really spot on. Yeah, and I want to just mention that the reason that I found out about your work was because my partner and I were going through a process of coming clean and truth-telling, and we happened to speak with a friend who's a therapist and who had also gone through a similar process with her, with her husband, and she she told me about about your, your book, Tell Me No Lies, and she had studied with you. So, um, so I've seen firsthand, um, along with people that I work with, that it's really important and valuable to... Um, to remove the veil, because that veil, I think, as you mentioned in your book and you alluded to earlier, it really can put a damper on the energy that you actually have to give to your relationship and to see see it thrive. Totally. Totally. The more, the more you're hiding out, the less alive you're going to feel. Yeah. Um, I, I want to thank you both for your time. And I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about. And hopefully we can have you back on the show. Um, I did want to mention to our listeners that Ellen and Peter are offering a signed copy of their book, Tell Me No Lies, to a lucky listener. If you want to qualify for that, you can download the show guide for this episode at neilsatin.com slash lies, L-I-E-S. Or you can text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 and just follow those instructions and that will qualify you to win that. So thank you so much, Ellen and Peter, for your generosity with that. You're welcome. You're welcome. And, and, um, I appreciate your efforts in promoting couples, people, how to bring out the best in each other. Because uh, it really is teamwork. And it really does take teamwork to make your dream work. And you can't do it without trust. Well, that's the, the second rhyme of the, of the conversation. I liked your first one, uh, curious, not furious. So that's, a, that's definitely a good one to stock away for when you're having these conversations. And this, your book is such a valuable uh, guide, I think, for couples to, to really actually see the patterns that they themselves are engaging in. Because there were some things I read in there that were eye-opening for me. Like, oh, yeah, that's, 
that's totally deceitfulness. And I see how that could build on each other. And it, it's, there are things that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. And, um, and then I also, you know, it take, what did you say that teamwork for dream work? Say it that one one more time. Teamwork to make your dream work. Yeah. I like that. So maybe you could just take a moment and describe for everyone listening, what does it look like? Is it realistic to think like we're going to be honest about everything? Like, what does that look like when you can get there in a positive way? Well, it, if you can, nobody is totally honest all the time. You know, uh, if Ellen says, look, does it, here's classic. Does this dress make my butt look big? Listen, I don't want to sleep on the couch. And I just say, Ellen, you look beautiful. <laughs> so there are some things where we just are programmed to not hurt somebody's feelings. But the bigger stuff, or and I wouldn't even call it the bigger stuff, it's like the RoboCop example. If you can start talking more openly about those things and tell your partner, thank you for being honest, I really appreciate that. Above all, that's what counts the most. We'll work out the details if we continue being direct and clear with each other. And that makes all the difference in the world, Neil. Well, thank you so much, Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson. And for those of you listening, their website is couplesinstitute.com. You can find information there if you're a therapist and want to learn more about how they help therapists learn to work um, more effectively with couples. And there's also information there for people in relationships to uh, help them do better and come to these to 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 uh to to do the teamwork to make their dream work <laughs> i think i got it so thank you so much peter and ellen thank you Neil. you're welcome thank you for listening to another episode of relationship alive if you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.